Hello and welcome to another episode of CISO Tradecraft, the podcast that provides you with the information, knowledge, and wisdom to be a more effective cybersecurity leader. My name is G. Mark Hardy, and today I'm privileged to have on our show Rafik Rahman, who is a distinguished architect and advisor at Verizon, but probably best known as the author of the CISO Mind Map. As always, if you subscribe to our show, please share that with others. And if you don't subscribe, please subscribe. We'd love to be able to reach you every single week. With that, Rafiq, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much. Happy to be here. So I have heard so much about you over the years, but this is honestly the first time I've had a chance to talk to you face-to-face. -face. So for those other folks out there who have not had the privilege to meet you, uh, tell me a little bit about your background, about yourself. How did you end up becoming sort of where you are right now? Yeah, it is. Uh, my path has been quite interesting. I started in electrical and communication engineering and then went to computer engineering and so on from education perspective. But initially, I was in the startup community mid to late 90s. Internet was the new thing. And I was part of a couple of startups to build uh, ISP operations and so on. So I started in networking. Then I did a little bit of software development. Eventually, I ended up in information security field. I would say uh, just by chance because I was doing some consulting work. I had a little bit of background in networking and firewalling and those kind of things. So an opportunity came in and... I started working uh, in information security consulting. Uh, that was about um, 15 plus years back. And since then, I have been in this field. I like this. Some new challenges every day. I consider myself as student of cybersecurity. Uh, I, I like to find new things and new ways of doing things. Along the way, I wrote a couple of books uh, again by just by chance, because somebody approached me to write something on a topic that they thought I had uh, something to offer. So uh, since then, I have written a couple of books. And on the side, I also write a little bit on my blog once in a while, probably a couple of times a month. And other than that, I have my eight to five job that I really love because this feels like I'm not doing my work. It's something that I really want to do. So I am learning something every day. I'm meeting with people like you, other professionals in information security. And that is kind of ongoing journey for me. Well, I think you hit on two key things with regard to the cybersecurity profession. One, it's a job you love. And the second one is you're learning something every day. And I think that's what attracts that's attracted me to it and kept me here for all these years. And I think for people who are looking at a cybersecurity career and saying, well, I like it. I've had, I've had people that I've talked to that were not security profile. Hey, I want to get into security. How do I do it? I hear it makes a lot of money. And that was their only input. In fact, I was an Uber driver. And I said, well, it's like professional football. You just have to have a lot of natural talent and work really, really hard all the time. And he's like, I don't want to work really hard all the time. I just want the money. I said, well, you know, this is not the career for you. But it does offer a huge opportunity for, for personal growth. And I think that's the real value. And so what we do here with our show at the CISO Tradecraft is we try to help folks who are looking at improving their cybersecurity 
leadership and management career to move on to the next level. So we're really not addressing as a rule. And of course, folks are listen, welcome to listen to, but we're not people who are saying, hey, do I want to do a security career or go drive an 18-wheeler? But rather people who are in the career path saying, how do I reach a level of more responsibility? How am I able to have a greater influence in my organization? Or if I am in one of these positions of management and leadership, how am I be able to be more effective to continue to deliver value? Yeah, and, and, and from learning perspective, one of the interesting things about information security field is that it is not only about the technology and running networks and making sure your applications work properly. Uh, there is a lot more than that, which is basically understanding how your business works, uh, how you enable those things, because as we may talk later on as well, in many times, people who don't understand that business side of it, they are not very successful in this field. So I just wanted to point that out, that it's not only about technology, it's much more than that. And that's an excellent point, because I remember years ago at, at DEF CON, I gave a talk called A Hacker Looks at 50. And I took some old 80-column cards that were up in mom's attic that I'd never used for my computer science degree, because back in the 70s, that's what we did. And I printed on the back a whole bunch of little insights. And one of them was choose or management or tech, choose one. And the idea being is like those big stacks of yellow containers with sand in them at the exit from the highway. You can stay on the highway, go on the exit, it's the highway, exit. But if you don't decide and you go right down the middle, boom, you end up blowing up this big thing full of sand. And so has your experience been that as a CISO, it's more important to be able to focus on the business than it is to hold on to your technical skills? Yeah, I, I would categorize it in different buckets. Uh, I think there are there are different requirements for CISO depending upon where you work. In many smaller organizations, there is a CISO title, but uh, the expectation is that you are going to run a technology show and you are going to be in some kind of hands-on work. And I'm talking about very small organizations. But when you come to medium to large size businesses, most of the times what CISOs are doing, they are not actually doing much of the technology work. They are managing teams. They are hiring people. They are, they are building their expertise. They are looking at the budgets and financial side of uh, how they are going to run an effective information security program. They are looking at what their business is doing and how they can enable their business so that it creates, so that the information security field or cybersecurity field, whatever they want to call it, so that it creates a competitive advantage as far as innovation is concerned as far as new services are concerned. So most of the time what I see, and I talk to people with medium and large size organizations, the CISOs are more concerned about the business side and how to run their business effectively. And more and more for the last couple of years, as you know, the ransomware and other related things are coming uh, at the forefront of uh, the boards of the organizations. Uh, there is a lot about the risk management side of it and how effectively you manage risk and how effectively you integrate into the overall enterprise risk management. That is one of the crucial parts that CISOs are doing these days. I would also mention that 
in information security because you have to run the operations and you have to ask for budget and you have to buy tools and you have to hire people and so on. So there is a lot of uh, part of CISO's work that is related to very non-conventional things. So for example, building business cases, for example, being the chief marketing officer for information security and how it plays its role into the overall business hierarchy. So there are a lot more things from internal sales, internal marketing, awareness, and so on. So CISOs are taking a lot, actually, that is beyond their stated job description. And the more diverse they have in their knowledge and skills about business and technology, especially emerging technologies, uh, the better uh, success they have. Well, interesting, because I was formulating a question as you were speaking as to, well, can you be an effective CISO if you don't have a technical background? And with the shift to risk management and the communications, the influence, all the things that are required at a CISO. And that kind of brings up the question, are there other career paths to CISO, for example, coming from risk management, coming from legal, coming from other departments that are used to speaking with executives? They've had FaceTime with executives. They built credibility with executives. And now you have a senior technical person who say, I want to try on the CISO hat compared to somebody who is, for example, been running compliance for five years. Does, are we seeing a diversity in terms of entry points into the CISO? And does that actually represent some serious competition for a skilled technical person looking to move up? Yeah, that's actually a very good point. And I would say it is not only CISOs, but in general, in the field of information security uh, for last 10, 15 years since I have been in this field, I have actually seen that people from a lot of different backgrounds are coming into the field of information security. Lately at my work, I know we do hire a lot of people from uh, armed forces, uh, veterans uh, who are coming from a different background, but they understand risk. They they are able to execute on things. So when people are hiring in information security, I would say more and more people are thinking about the attitude, not the not the past experience and background. And when I say attitude, that means basically, are you willing to take up new things? Are you a continuous learner? Are you able to take up new challenges and grow your understanding and learn and unlearn new things and unlearn old things and so on? Uh, so same is true for the CISOs as well. I see many of the people in CISO roles, they are coming from business background. They do understand uh, some technology. They don't need to be expert in, for example, how to run a penetration testing or what are the tools that you would use for forensics and so on. But as long as they are, they have some basic idea and knowledge about what is needed from information security, they have some basic ideas and knowledge about the IT field in general, their skills in risk management, their skills in business management, their skills in innovation, those are very crucial to be successful in this area. People who have been managing teams and uh, are able to build good teams, grow people, elevate them to new levels, they are also very successful. Uh, I would actually say that 
anybody who is aspiring to be a CISO, if they are looking forward holding on to their technical skills, I would argue that they are probably not going to be very good CISOs uh, because if they continue to focus on keeping their own technical skills up to date and not focusing on other areas that are crucial for success of a CISO, I think probably it is going to be a problem for them. That's a very profound insight. And I think uh, that's um, definitely a lesson for many people to think about because in a way you have to recognize that you're turning a corner in a way. You have to leave behind the old things, not to, not to kind of reduce it to a lower level, but it's like going from high school onto the university. Yeah, you might have been the star basketball player in your high school class, but then you get at the university level and all of a sudden there's a lot of really good players there. You might have been the valedictorian for your high school class, but you get to university and it's full of valedictorians and now, now the game is on. So it's a lot more competition. Absolutely. You know, you had published a book back in 2013, Information Security Leaders Handbook, How to Be an Effective Information Security Leader by Focusing on Fundamental Models. Is what we've been talking about, is that in alignment with what you thought was true nine years ago, or have you seen those skill sets change significantly to be an effective information security leader? I think overall, the information security field is continuously evolving. So when I when I wrote that book, and many times I have been thinking about updating the second version or second edition of that book. When I wrote that book, my basic objective was, okay, somebody entering or uh, becoming a new CISO, what are the things that they should be thinking about? Obviously, you can go into a lot of detail of, every field in information security. There has been so many subfields in information security now. Um, but at a high level, when you are thinking about a broader and bigger picture as a chief information security officer, you cannot go into in-depth knowledge of each and everything. What you need to do is to build some business models or some mental models that you can, that are simple enough and that you can look into and build your expertise in some of those models, apply those models, simplify those ones, and so on. So that was the basic idea when I wrote that book, how to be, how to give a resource for people who are new CISOs and who want to uh, think about uh, at a high level, what are the models that I am going to look into and build in my mind? But at the same time in the book, I also wanted to give them some action items. So uh, I added for each of the topic that I covered in the book, I added uh, a kind of table at the end, which gave them, okay, um, I am working on this expertise or this area of expertise. So what are the actions that I should take? So they could open the book and they could scribble something and write down their actions. So that was uh, another thing that I wanted to make sure. The third thing I wanted to make sure for that book was that it should not be a boring, lengthy, you know, chapter by chapter long books that people don't have usually time to read. It should be something like you, you, could, you could open a random page on the book and one to two pages long, you cover a topic and uh, you think about some action items 
based upon that topic, related to that topic, note those action items and make some progress on it. So those were a few things that were on my mind at that time. I think over the over the time, it, it is a little bit uh, older book now, but over the time, the field has evolved. But mostly, I would say from a mental models perspective, um, many of those things are still relevant. So today, what do you think are the most valuable models for a CISO? Would you go with something like the CIS controls? Would you look at some other reference? What, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'll just ask, you know, what, what do you think is the, the, the most valuable models for a CISO to be have in mind as, as he or she thinks about what they want to do next? Yeah, I, I think people are looking at uh, many different areas. We, we, we have no shortage of uh, standards and we have no shortage of, uh, I would say, recommendations from industry, not only from organizations like NIST, CIS and others, but also from vendors. What I have found more and more people gravitating towards is, uh, number one, how they can look into the NIST uh, cybersecurity framework. So that is becoming the most common thing for people. Initially, I, if I think about like three, four years back, uh, people were looking at, you know, top 20, NIST CSF, ISO, others. But lately what I'm seeing more and more people are now gravitating towards so that is number one thing from a model's perspective. It is simple, you know, five different areas and you can think about uh, what you need to do in, in those five areas. It gives you a little bit better idea about how to balance your budget. So, for example, traditionally, many of the organizations, what I have seen, have been spending a lot of money and time and effort on the prevention side and little or less on uh, detection compared to, I would say, response and recovery side. So when I talk to people, I, I ask them, okay, think about these five areas and think about if you, are, if you are not balancing your budget in these five areas, then probably you are emphasizing too much on one side and not emphasizing enough on the other side. So that's one area that I would, I would suggest that people should think about. The other, from, from a mental models perspective, since we are talking about that, I would say the main thing that I talk to people based upon the issues that they mentioned to me is, uh, number one, people should always think about how they can simplify things. And this is a common issue that uh, people are facing with uh, in information security. Sometimes we make things too much complicated. There are too many technologies. There are too many areas to look for. And there's always a way to simplify things. So the second suggestion that I usually make uh, to people is simplify things, simplify things. And the third thing that I usually ask people is think about uh, how you can minimize the use of tools and technologies. If you are using 20, 30 tools and technologies for information security, probably uh, there would be some overlap and there would be uh, some tools that you may be spending money on but not utilizing fully their capabilities. Uh, for each tool and technology that you buy, you have to have internal expertise or you have to have some 
external consulting expertise that you need. So uh, again, going to simplicity, how you can reduce your number of tools and kind of maximize uh, what the capabilities of your selected tools are. So those are the kind of uh, high level business models that I usually talk to people about. Uh, but when you go into detail, obviously, uh, you, you can have uh, some of some of these tools adapted to different environments based upon the organization that people are working on. So to summarize, then what we want to do is look at, in, in your opinion, the NIST cybersecurity model of identify, protect, detect, respond, recover, balance your efforts across that. Uh, number two, simplify when you can. And then number three, to minimize the variety of tool sets so you can focus on, on competencies on that. And I think you'll find Dr. Eric Cole agrees with you because one of the things he used to say all the time is protection you know, protection is important, but detection is a must. And if you were perfect at the protect function, you'd never have to detect. But none of us are batting a thousand these days. And so you have to be able to deal with that as it falls back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No matter how much you spend on protection, eventually something is going to something is going to be compromised at one point. So you have to have the ability of detection. Uh, and, and I mean, this is a common knowledge. This is not something that only I know, everybody knows that we have a lot of expanse on firewalls and, uh, you know, endpoint solutions and many of the cloud technologies now that are geared towards more protection side and not, not enough on detection and response side. Got it. Now, one of the things that, as I had mentioned earlier in the show that you're best known for is a CISO mind map. And you've now got the 2022 version of the CISO mind map, which I believe is your 14th edition. How did you get started on that? I mean, when did you get started? And I mean, the earliest one I could find in your blog is from 2014, but it suggests it might have been begun even earlier than that. Yeah, actually, uh, this is one of those things that you just I would say stumble upon and you don't know initially if this is going to be something really, really useful for industry. Before joining my current employer, Verizon, where I work, I was managing an information security team and many times people would ask me, well, what do you do? And uh, it, was not a, it was not a very brief conversation when you start explaining about what do you do. So I thought I should have something that I can just hand over to people and say, okay, this is what I do. <laughs> so, so I started putting a few things on paper and soon I realized that you need to have a better way instead of just listening. What do you do? You need to have a better way of visually showing people. So that's how I started on the mind map. So initial version was uh, a very small, simple compared to what it has evolved to right now. So over the years, initially I, I was publishing more than one version every year, but then uh, over the time I decided, okay, once a year update is going to be uh, good enough. And uh, for last five, six years, I am making just uh, one release every year. And Every time I make this release, I usually look at 
what is still relevant. So I try to take few things out that are probably dated, not relevant anymore, or technology have, has moved to something else, or the role of CISO has changed and so on. And then I look into what is really happening in industry? What is anything new that people should be thinking about, acting upon? And I add those things to see so much. So there are, there are some variations that happen every year. And I look into not idealistically what the job description of a CISO is. What I look into is what the reality of life of CISO is. So I focus on that area. So this is kind of, you know, sometimes people ask, what is the difference between CISO mind map and let's say NIST 853? Is it a framework? And I tell, no, it is not a framework. It is not a job description. It is the reality. It is a depiction of the reality of what CISOs have to go through. So, so that's what I try to do and keep it realistic, keep it uh, as simplistic as I can, uh, but it has grown complex. And from your quote from last year, as you point out in your blog, most people outside the cybersecurity profession don't fully realize and appreciate the complexity of a security professional's job. So in starting out with a way to help others explain what you do and now evolving almost to a sort of a curriculum outline of sorts as uh, it becomes an opportunity uh, to then create some buzzword compliance in somebody's background or resume say, well, I can do this, this, and this. And they go, well, is this guy a good candidate for a CISO? Well, I don't know. Let's compare it to the CISO mind map. Wow, this guy can do everything. He must be great. It's probably not why you designed it. But are you seeing alternative uses or branch cases uh, from this as a kind of a source document, either for, for better or for worse? Yeah, I am, I am actually surprised. So many people reaching out to me and saying, okay, I am using this mind map to do X, Y, Z. And I am kind of surprised. Okay, yeah, this is this was not my intention, but good to know how you are using it. So people have been telling me about, awareness is number one thing that all of the people tell me about, that inside their organizations, they use CISO mind map to explain the complexity of the work that they do. And it is not only inside the technology organization, but also uh, outside of the technology organization, like HR, like board meetings and so on. So it, it's a good awareness tool. Uh, some people have sent me pictures of how they have uh, kind of made big posters and hung on the walls. So that is good to, good to know. I have also seen uh, many people telling me that they use CISO mind map to fine tune their security program about where they should emphasize or not emphasize. Some of the CISO groups actually use this as part of the discussion for their profession. So I have been to a couple of these online virtual groups where they use CISO mind map, pick one area of the mind map and have a discussion about what other people are seeing in that area any of these strategy discussions and so on. So there, there are various ways people are using it. And I am happy that I started it for my own purpose and it has evolved to something that people find useful and in general, people are benefiting from it. And, and I love the format. I've, I've used mind maps for years, 
And when I write an episode or write a white paper or some document, that's exactly how I started. Turn the page sideways, but I'll circle in the middle and then boom, 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 and off it goes. And for those who've never done mind mapping before, it's a great way to get your ideas in order when they don't come out of your brain in order. That is to say, it's a way to set up, if you will, pre-sorted bins for your ideas. Imagine that you had to sort through a lower drawer full of chargers and connectors and cables and things. Not that I've ever had to do that. Uh, but yeah, last night I was doing that for one of my smaller clients. They were trying to get. And so what does it help? You, you have these little bins. Okay, charger here, cable there. So rather than try to come up with and run across the room, run back. So from that perspective, then, it's nice way to also show people ways to organize a complex set of thoughts and ideas and put some structure, hierarchy, and order into them. And of course, I'm thinking in the background, people print them out as a big, large poster because it needs to be big and large. There's so much information on there. Otherwise, you'd be about eight-point font and it'd be kind of tough to read. But yeah, it's a, it's a wonderfully valuable tool. And of course, there's derivative works on there, but but you yourself have offered some derivatives as well in terms of six recommendations. And you've included those now in this year in the bottom right-hand corner. Should we, let's walk through those a little bit because I think there's some real value for people to think about them. And the first one is reevaluating your ransomware defenses. Why did that end up as number one? Well, this is this is really, really number one, and I do want to emphasize on this in particular. Ransomware is ransomware attacks are growing year over year for last at least three years, and we know this from data. So it is not somebody's opinion. We we have very hard data to show that this has become one of the major issues for many organizations. Recently, so, so you know, I work at Verizon and we, we publish data breach investigation report every year. And we look into the data and kind of evaluate what is happening in industry. So every year we publish this data breach investigation report, we analyze data from like 70, 80 different sources and so on. So if you look at the trends in data breach investigation report for the last three years, you would see that the ransomware attacks are going up and up. And the latest report, ransomware is one of the biggest area that people should be concerned about. There are some other factors that are fueling this trend. So, uh, number one factor, obviously, again, this is not something that I am saying that other people don't know, which is uh, for the attackers, ransomware is an easy way to make money. They know that people are going to pay. They know that it is different than stealing data and then going to some underground market and selling it. So instead of uh, finding data, selling it, making a little bit money here and there. This is where they can make money directly uh, from the victim side. So the trend is growing and it is expanding not in only into data, but it is expanding into the operational technology, the, the real life situations. And we have seen many incidents. So I would not name uh, particular incidents. 
So this is this is where people need to do more and more work, and because this this is the biggest thing that they are facing. Uh, I recently read somebody's prediction that in different industries they have different percentages, but you can you can you can expect somewhere between 15 to 20 percent of probability depending upon your industry that you will be attacked in the next 12 months uh, with a ransomware attack so that's why i put it as number one and i also see that people can do simple things to to overcome issues and to avoid paying ransom by things like you know testing their backups Many times people do have backups, but they don't test it. And when time comes, they realize that their backups don't work or they don't work in timely fashion. Or in some cases, people may have their backup systems that are online that are also ransomed. So they don't have any offline backup. So simple things like that, that can be helpful. And people should be testing and looking into this area very, very carefully. Now, there's a couple of thoughts that have. Number one, of course, is that the backups are important in the kind of ransomware 1.0, where it was an availability attack. Of course, now we're seeing ransomware 2.0 is a confidentiality attack. But the other thought is, if you look at the first half of 2022 and the crypto winter that set in, that is the worst for Bitcoin ever since it was it came out in 2009. Uh, you know, two thoughts on that is one is, is that going to reduce the lucrative nature of ransomware, because that's usually the way that you are able to extract payment. And then the second thought is, uh, does that mean that Bitcoin is on sale for those organizations who figure, let's get a couple in the bank just in case we fail at the protect function? And so, you know, we could probably go into that for a long period of time, but just want to throw those ideas out. But but in the interest of moving forward, let's take a look at your second thought here. Reduce and consolidate security tools and technologies and vendors, which really reflects your third priority that you had articulated earlier. The importance of reducing and consolidating the tools. Why, why do that? One of the things that I mentioned that there are studies, especially in larger organizations, on the average, like one study, little more than a year old, uh, says people are using, on the average, 43, 47, something like that, information security tools. That's a lot of technologies. And when you are thinking about having your internal teams to manage that kind of technologies, that that number of technologies, you need a lot of expertise. And many times what, what we see is that people have a lot of tools, but they don't have people to manage those tools effectively. So you may end up not using tools effectively, number one, and number two, misconfiguring those tools that become a security hazard in itself. So what I what I say that to people is that more technologies doesn't make you more secure. Effective use of technologies makes you secure. So if you have more tools than you can handle and manage properly, then probably there is something that you need to think about and change your strategy. The other thing uh, from the tools perspective also is that I see many times people buy tools because a vendor comes in and they say, okay, you buy this one, buy that one, this is going to do X, this is going to do Y, and you end up buying licenses and software that becomes shelfware many times. 
I have seen literally that people have used, uh, people have bought some software and they uh, have not used it for two years, three years, and they're just paying for licenses. Uh, and this is, again, uh, like ransomware, this is a very common problem that I see in industry. When I talk to people, CISOs, other information security leaders, and that's why I, I, I emphasize that not only it is, it is a money pit that you keep feeding into, but also at some point, if you are not managing these tools properly, these tools themselves could become a security issue. So that's why I, I put it there. Yeah, that's an ex excellent insight on that one. And uh, of course, it kind of brings up the dilemma, which is a bigger risk, a misconfigured tool or no tool at all. But we'll, we'll, we'll save that for another day. Uh, your, your third recommendation is to serve your business better. Train your staff on business acumen, value creation, influencing, and human experience. Well, you could do an entire show on just that. And I think I probably <laughs> have at some point. But briefly, your thoughts as to why that's so important as a key skill here that comes out of this. Yeah, absolutely. I am actually working on uh, a related initiative to kind of create a body of knowledge about what are the business tools and skills and information that security people need to have. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the beginning, there is uh, the role of information security leaders is, uh, and in general for anybody in information security, is not only technology, it, it, it is a kind of cross-section of technology and business. And many times what we see is that lack of these business acumen, especially when you are thinking about how you can influence people, how you can create value, how you can improve human experience uh, with, the, with the tools and technologies that you are implementing. That is going to be directly related to the success of your program and your people. For example, if you are putting new security controls in place and that makes the daily life of people who are using technology difficult, nobody is going to like it. And, and, and it, is, uh, it is related to the reputation of the work that you do. It is related to the value that you create and so on. So understanding a little bit of these things about what value is, what is the value chain, how value is created. Many times you work with people who don't directly report into information security. So you have to understand how to influence people without authority. Uh, that is going to be directly related to your success. And human experience, as I mentioned, if you're doing things that are not improving, human experience, but is uh, going the other way around, it is going to be detrimental to the success of your program. Very, very wise insight on that one. Let's go on to number four, take an inventory of open source software and make it a part of your vulnerability management program. Now, how well does that align with the concept of an SBOM, which was kind of broached back in May of 2021 with the White House announcement and really got things rolling from there? Do you, are you on board that you think these uh, software bill of materials are a good idea? I believe so. I think it is a good idea. And uh, I, I just want just to make sure that people don't take it in a wrong way. Open source software is good. I have actually built my career on open source uh, Linux and open source tools for networking, you know, publishing, and so on. So open source software is everywhere. Internet runs on Linux and other open source software. So 
it is not a bad thing. What is bad is that I see more and more vendors, they are taking some open source project, open source tools, they embed those open source tools into their commercial products and services. And when people are buying these uh, products and services, they don't really understand and know what is inside. And what happens is that they are, because they don't understand what is inside, what software components are being used, their vulnerability management program is flawed uh, because they don't know what they have. And that is one of the reasons I put the recommendation there that people should understand, number one, what kind of open source software they are using by themselves and force their vendors to disclose what other open source components they are, they are using. Again, we have seen um, some of the supply chain data breaches in recent years, again, not mentioning any names. Uh, but this is this is an issue of not knowing what you have, and uh, the more you know, the better you can protect yourself. That sounds good. Uh, number five, building a team expertise in technology fields, including machine learning models, model training, API security, service mesh, containers, DevSecOps. I mean, that's a whole laundry list there, and it kind of takes a whole big chunk of your CISO mind map there, but. What you're saying, though, I think the key there was the team expertise. And, and this relates, I think, a little bit earlier to what you had said, that an effective CISO isn't building personal expertise. Yeah, it is about team expertise. And you're you are absolutely right. There is a lot. And I don't think any one person would be expert in all of the things that we are talking about. But the main idea, the, the model is that if the security team does not have expertise in these emerging areas of technology, other parts of the organization, they are definitely doing something about this. They are, they are probably doing some innovative project. They are bringing in these technologies. And what happens is that you are behind the curve. Uh, you come to know when somebody is already implemented or project is in the final stages and you have not thought about what that, you know, what the impact of that new technology would be on your information security program. And what happens is that you become a roadblock at that time. Oh, I do one of this. I need to create processes. I need to have a policy for this. I need to make these changes and so on. So you end up uh, many times delaying those innovative projects. And what I am recommending basically here is that proactively people should be thinking about Okay, these are the emerging technologies. Our organization is going to use it one way or the other. So be ahead of the curve, build expertise, proactively build policies and procedures of using those technologies so you can enable the business. And the last item you had of your six was to maintain a centralized risk register and maybe even better to integrate that into your enterprise risk management program. Thoughts on that as we kind of get close to the end of the show here about how valuable that is as well. Yeah, this is, a, this is a, a, about setting the priorities. I have done a couple of surveys by myself, uh, not by scientific surveys, but what I realize uh, people are saying is that a majority of the organization don't even have a risk register, which basically means that the leadership in those security organizations, they don't have they don't know exactly what are the things that they should be working on or what are the, their priorities. So many times they are just bogged down on day-to-day -day operations type things and not thinking strategically, where are the things that they need to fix. Uh, 
So my recommendation here is that even if it is a spreadsheet, maintain a risk register where you know that these are the areas from a strategy perspective. So, so I, I just want to make sure that people understand it correctly what I'm saying. I'm not talking about day-to-day -day tactical things uh, for risk register. I'm talking about what are the strategic things that you should be working on, the gaps that you should be filling eventually. Those things go into risk register and people should be planning about it, prioritizing about it, taking actions on those ones. And that is very crucial for success of the long-term security program. Great insight. Well, Rafik, this has been wonderful. I mean, you've, you've been an amazing contributor across a whole range of activities, uh, almost intimidating in a way. I mean, I've been trying to think of all ways that I could add value to our career path through doing the podcast and teaching and presentations and things. But I think you've, you've been an amazingly valuable member of the community. So I'd like to say thank you personally and professionally for all that you have done and for all that you continue to do. So on behalf of CISO Tradecraft, this is G. Mark Hardy. Thank you very much for listening in. Please subscribe to our podcast if you're not already. I will put links to Rafik's books and also to his website in our show notes so you can find them. And until next time, stay safe.